1: This week's episode is a recording of one of our Global Autism Community exclusive events. The topic of this roundtable discussion was summer travel and holidays. It was hosted by community moderator Corbin Havener. Corbin is an autistic self advocate from Indiana who joined our moderator team this last June. Participating in this event were community members Danielle Terrell, Liz Castillo, and myself. In today's conversation, we discuss. Dealing with hot weather and changing temperatures, amusement parks and roller coasters, accommodations such as sensory processing break areas, tips for traveling by plane and car, challenges with fireworks during holidays, interruptions in routines, and summer camps. In this episode, discover what's possible when you're ready to have fun. To learn more about the participants in this discussion, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. Roundtable discussions like the one you'll hear today are open exclusively for members of our online global autism community. We select a different theme each month and our moderators monitor posts daily to ensure that our online space remains safe and respectful. If you'd like to attend and participate in any of our future events, you can sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at autismpodcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you the Global Autism Community.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody who uh, joined today. This is our monthly roundtable discussion. And in the theme of July, we've been talking about about the summer breaks and holidays. And of course, I am Corbin Havener. I'm a 27-year-old autistic self-advocate from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I currently work, uh, work in a manufacturing environment, and my area of focus and advocacy is good, inclusive, and equitable employment opportunities.
2: I can introduce myself. I'm Danielle Terrell. I'm a professional in the field. I currently work as a transition coordinator for the Department of Developmental Services for the state of Massachusetts. I am a future skill course traveler, so I'm excited to travel one day with the Global Autism Project. I have a master's in developmental disabilities, and I hope to continue to advocate for children and adults.
3: I can go. So my name is Rachel, and I am a Global Autism Project staff member. I also host the podcast, Autism Knows No Borders. And I've been involved with the organization for the last like four years now, I think. That's when I started as a volunteer. I have my certification as a BCBA and I am happy to be here, stepping in as a audience member today.
0: Okay. And of course, Liz, um... Uh, Welcome, um, and I'd to introduce yourself as well.
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Liz Castillo. I'm happy to be here. I am part of the Global Autism Project team, and I serve the community, and I'm involved with a lot of the advocacy work that we do internationally and here in the United States, and I'm happy to be here at this roundtable. Thank you.
0: All right. And of course, uh, welcome. Um, I'm excited to see what um, we could be speaking for as, um, of course, we've all been in various roundtable discussions before, so I'm sure we're familiar with our um, notes to us two principle. No one speaks twice until we all speak once, which is always a great, respectful form of dialogue that I'm always happy to be behind. And some of the topics of focus for me, it come down to like things like, 4th of July or holiday celebrations, the handling of various extreme temperatures, travel, theme parks, swimming or summer recreation, and, you know, things of that nature. I think um, with where we are right now, I think I'd be interested to to sort of start with why I felt like, you know, this topic was a great idea. I think, you know, discussing late, um, late in June, in my area, we had some hot temperatures. And since I work in kind of like an indoor environment with no to minimal air conditioning, I certainly remember how hot it was and that we have our break rooms, which are air conditioned with like window air conditioning units. And I just remember like, you know, how hot I was and how much I was sweating going into those and seeing like a 30 degree temperature drop. And I'm sure it's just a a form of a sensory processing issue, but it it was sort of the it is just sort of the experience that I had that inspired me to focus more on these summer-related topics, you know.
2: Yeah, it's definitely been really hot um the past couple of weeks in Boston for sure. So I can imagine that's a big adjustment.
0: Yeah, certainly. And a great area online that you'll find a number of interesting like autistic creators is like Western Europe or particularly the UK and one thing that's interesting is their infrastructure is not built for the type of heat that they are experiencing so certain autistic creators on like either like YouTube or TikTok that's been a topic that has certainly been uh, brought up and I'm just wondering, I mean, so for me, as um right now, na- right now, um, I'm the autistic uh, member who is here. So for me, especially in the most, uh, on the most humid days, if I go into a place of public accommodation, like any grocery store or anything, I never really liked having that instant 30 degree temperature drop right now. It's like, that's a lot for like my body or senses to regulate to. I'm just wondering. I don't know if anybody else really feels that.
4: I don't think I I feel like a big shift when those temperatures do change. At least not within like my sensory processing. Um, I think it's more so of. It kind of dictates the different activities I'm able to do. So that's something that like I think about whenever like the temperatures drop and stuff like that. But it's really interesting to hear your perspective as far as like how you process it through your body and
0: all that. Thanks, Corbin. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sure. And of course, moving on to the um, next topic, Uh, just moving on to the next topic as well. With the audience that we have here, I think the topic of festivals and theme parks is one that's in in well order. One of the posts that I actually put in there and I think was actually instrumental to getting an autism diagnosis at an early age was our local Three Rivers Festival, because when you're considering things like carnival rides or anything, a kid's mindset is usually focus on the fun and movement. And and for what I've largely been told, I was very focused and observant. So I was always interested in the machinery operating the rides over just the experience of the rides. So in regards to everybody's relationship with autism, for example, what's everybody's experiences with either like theme parks or festivals?
2: I actually used to work at in Florida, and I know that they have accommodations and um, guest can skip the line, so they're not waiting online for a long time. They have like preferred access for different attractions. So those types of accommodations are available. And then recently, Six Flags America, which is in Maryland, just became the first certified autism center theme park in the D.C. region. So they have um, specially trained staff members for families that are going to the parks. And then Autism on the Seas is another um, it's an organization for volunteers to go and um, support families on cruise ships so if there's a family that's taking a summer vacation and they want to go on a cruise they can go on a staff-assisted cruise and that's with various cruise lines that kind of have various ports too so it's accessible
0: all right yeah I mean in many of our industries like added inclusion and thought you know it's really getting closer to becoming the norm. And, you know, it is uh, certainly great to see that, certainly. And of course, Liz, do you have any uh, particular um, experience that you uh, would like to share on? I'm
4: really happy Danielle shared about the Autism on the Seas because that's one that I was going to bring up as well. And then Sesame Place that also has um, sensory processing rooms and break rooms to help cater to those who need a break from the theme park, like loudness and rides. And usually they're really crowded. Um, So I love that they are thinking that way and just making them available to everyone and not just labeling them as like, oh, for people with autism it's or autistic people, it's just for anyone who needs that break, that sensory break. Um, And just understanding that these environments can be a bit overwhelming. And I think that's one of the key things for inclusion is just taking into thought how it's going to help everyone. And so that's really awesome. I really appreciate that that theme park has done that for our community. And then the other thing I wanted to share about is not so much amusement parks, but during my time in Maryland, I found a lot of parks had a little signage and both signs around the parks so that people could use picture exchange like modeling for communication. So people, I saw a lot of kids would use, they would go to the board and point to the swing so that their parents would know like, oh, you want to go on the swing? Cool, let's go. And so I thought that was really cool too. And another way to really be inclusive in that space that I hadn't seen before really, aside from my time in Maryland. So I thought that was really cool. And I thought, wow, like it's such a simple thing that was added to the park, but can make a huge difference for a kid who is unable to use their words in that environment, or maybe ever. So it was just really cool to see that.
0: Yeah. I think that is um, certainly interesting. I know, for example, out of DC, ASAN is, of course, an autistic led advocacy group. And I can't help but think that maybe that one sort of had a hand in that influence because I know Maryland and their proximity to DC is a great one. So that is certainly interesting to know. Does anybody else have any? Uh, cool insights to share regarding uh, amusement parks or theme parks? So I grew up
3: close to Disneyland, Anaheim, and also Magic Mountain, like in Valencia in California. So I grew up going to amusement parks all the time. And as much as I loved the thrill of like the free falls and the exhilaration of going on the rides, I always had this slight fear in the back of my mind that something would go wrong that the harness would fly off or there would be a malfunction in the tracks or something because you always hear those kinds of free core stories of maybe someone stands up or they raise their arms too high or something so as much as I enjoyed roller coasters I was also pretty scared and I don't know if maybe the fear Played into part of the thrill, also, it's like this adrenaline rush because you don't really know what can happen. So that's my experience with, although I will say now, as I've gotten older, now I just get headaches and so I'm like i'd I'd rather pass and just like stand on the sidelines,
0: yeah, I feel like that is an experience as um, people move to different uh, stages of their lives and maybe they're more prone. To like some of the physical repercussions, especially if you're riding an an old aerodynamics coaster. Which side note, there's a little bit of a special interest. So I know various roller coaster manufacturers, but you know certain manufacturers or uh, styles can really bang you around more than others. And of course, I have my uh, you know, my experiences um, with uh, theme parks. Now, you know, part of the thrill is that you know that you're not. Um, in that immediate control but particularly with my um, Cedar Fair Park chains for one thing I know I have my full conference in the safety and operational nature of the rides what I consider my home park is Cedar Point and um, I remember that uh, that summer you know I, I always for a lot of times I love you know getting out on the road and going different places. And that was always the angle that over the years that I approached those things. But eventually I'm like, I convinced myself that I really do want to get on these rides. And I think it was the summer between my sixth and seventh grade year, I decided to go big. So, you know, I remember having my heart absolutely pounding, waiting to get on Millennium Force. And You know, this was the world's original giga coaster. So a giga coaster is a full circuit roller coaster with a lift height of at least 300 feet. And of course, this one is a near vertical drop. And once I uh, got through that experience, I realized that even though I'm not great with heights or anything, that moment where once that original drop is gone, you are just flying and you just get the chance to, you know, enjoy all of the sensations that it has and and of course you know ever since then especially I've just uh, been a big fan of Cedar Point and uh, many of the attractions that uh, they have added since then including Steel Vengeance which is my current favorite. So now that we have that I figure we can pivot. The interesting aspect here is everybody in here like I guarantee is more experienced than me in traveling especially different modes of travel um, non-car based so yeah, I'd be interested to hear like uh, everybody's different perspectives related to travel. Let's just focus on airline travel to start with. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts to be considered. So, yeah, does anybody have um, interesting perspectives or insights to share on airline travel?
2: I'm definitely not the best because typically when I travel, I'll show up to the airport. 10 minutes before boarding, and I'm fine. I used to live in the DC area, so the airport wasn't very busy. So I kind of took it as I went and wasn't really stressed out. But I do make a mental note of the different airports that I travel in and out of. And I mean, it was a little easier prior to COVID, but you could kind of guess how busy the airports would be. And that's kind of how I would plan my travel. But I do know also prior to the pandemic, JetBlue had um, a program. It was called Wings for Autism. And... They would provide support to families prior to their travel and would have family members come onto the plane so they can see what it's like, touch the seats, talk to um, flight attendants and um, other support. I did reach out to them recently to see if they had any programs upcoming, but because of the pandemic, that program's not running. But I think that would be really great if that was something that continued.
0: Okay. So that uh, program, so it's like Wings for Autism. Mm-hmm. Is that one that like requires a book trip, or you know, is that something that you know you can contact your local airport to uh, get a sense of?
2: I'm not really sure what the requirements if you had to like have flight plans already booked.
0: Yeah, because um, this is this is something that, as somebody who literally like. I was in kindergarten during like, you know, the 9-11 attacks. So I'm like a part of the generation that may have been the youngest to have been able to remember that. I honestly can't help but wonder in a world where, you know, that didn't happen, like what type of experiences or what type of further opportunities could happen without, you know, incredible like status quo changing and tragic event. I mean, there's a definitely a lot of what ifs uh, that you can think about there, and obviously I've um, I'm not a frequent traveler, so there definitely tends to be different perks. I think, I think everybody else here travels a lot more than us, but you know, does anybody want to um, from a more frequent traveler perspective so like, like want to share like what's the best airline traveling tips that uh, any anybody feels like they can offer?
3: Well, I would say. They have these machines now at the airport that are more advanced with technology where you don't have to take out all of your electronics or even all of your toiletries. And not all airports have them. And even within one airport, not every line has this type of machine. But I would, maybe one tip, I guess, is when you hear the TSA officers, kind of making announcements to their line saying, leave everything in your bag, go to that line, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. those are the lines that make going through the security checkpoint so much easier. I know JFK has these machines. I think the airport in Anstram, almost all of the machines are like that. But it's just so much more convenient because I get really stressed out also when there's a lot of people behind me and I'm in a hurry trying to take out my laptop and my my ebook and like all of the things and it just makes it so much easier that's one thing you can't always know in advance though, which line that is yeah Um, I think another thing is if you have the opportunity to select your seat I think that makes a huge difference I love the window because I like to sleep a lot in the plane so I need something to rest my head on and Sometimes even at check-in, you don't have to pay anything extra for this, but if you just request it and say, can I have a window seat if it's available, and they'll give it to you instead of just randomly assigning you a seat, or if you prefer an aisle, or maybe you want the middle to each his own, (laughs) but um, (laughs) just speaking up, it's kind of like requesting for accommodations, right? Just speaking up for whatever you need will go a long way, especially on those long-haul flights when you're kind of stuck in your seat for at least six, seven hours, you
0: know? (laughs) Oh yeah. And of course, you know, Liz, uh, you have anything um, that you feel helpful to add or would like to add?
4: Yeah. Just kind of like jumping off of what Rachel shared. One thing that I find really important that I learned when I was in my early days of traveling is just know all of the gate information that is on your ticket, look at your gate, your boarding time, and the time that it actually departs. Because one of the things I learned is that like, they close the door before they actually depart. And so if you get to your gate after that, they will not let you on the flight. And so I think that's like some really important information that I think If you're a new traveler or haven't traveled often, it's something you might miss. Like you might look at your ticket and say, "Hey, cool, I have until twelve thirty when my plane departs," but that's not the case. Like they take into account that, "Hey, we need to close up. We need to make sure everyone's buckled in, that everything's there." Because my first time flying on my own as an adult, um, I got to the airport and I was like, I can see the airplane. It's still there. So like, we're up. We're sorry, but the door is closed. We cannot open it up again. Um, we'll have to reschedule you onto a different flight. So it was a learning experience for me. I had only ever traveled with my parents as a kid. So when I traveled on my own, I didn't know to look for that detail. And so it was really cool that they were able to get me on the flight right after, but had that flight not been available, I would have been stuck and or out of that flight. So I think that's just something to be mindful of. If you're going to start traveling, just making sure you check in and again, like voice for those needs that you need, like all those need to knows, like you could, when you check in, say, Hey, where is my gate? What time does it depart? What time do I need to be there to board the plane? And it's usually all marked. So what I like to do is I like to take a highlighter and just like make sure I highlight all the important things I need to be mindful of. And also making sure that I remind myself to be flexible because. I need to listen to those announcements. A lot of the times out of nowhere, they'll be like, hey, your gate's changing. <laughs> and now you have to run across the airport and get to another gate to get on your plane. And now you only have five minutes <laughs> to get there versus, oh, I'm sitting here hanging out for 20 minutes till my plane boards. So I think like if you're a new traveler or you're just starting to travel through airlines, um, those are some things to kind of keep in mind as you start taking adventures
0: yeah of course Well, uh, thank you for thank you for sharing and you know and I uh, actually had my own uh, travel experience myself so this happened to be the month of June obviously you know we all uh, obviously we all here uh, definitely miss uh, David David Sharif and you know definitely you know wish like he he was able to you know, be on this call with us today. He definitely made all these better. But one of the things that sort of shifted my mindset from that was, you know, it's like, I just wanted to go to New York. So, you know, I contacted some people, I even had a chance to even had a chance to get together with Ben, which was nice. You know, I, I just got to talk about some things in a more rambling type fashion, but Obviously, because I just had it limited to sort of a three-day weekend, you know, flying was what I had to do. So the first thing, I wanted to make sure that I booked the earliest flight possible just in case anything fell apart. I wanted to make sure there, were, there could be other options. But going there from Detroit transferring at DC Dulles to LaGuardia, that wasn't overly stressful. There was one tight connection at Dulles that was a 30-minute layover. And 30 minute layover does not necessarily mean you have 30 minutes to get there. So, you know, I just sort of had to get off the plane and immediately, go to that next gate. And, you know, getting to LaGuardia, landing there. LaGuardia is a recently renovated airport, very nice airport to land in, and very few problems going there. Now, departing, going back to Detroit, the layover in Dulles. That one had a few more challenges. I tried to stick to the two-hour rule, but I was determined to take public transportation, which I was very proficient at when I was there. But I had some confusion on getting on the LaGuardia link, which is a bus that connects with a subway stop in Queens to get there. And then first mistake I made was I got off at the wrong terminal because that airport is under construction and there's no quick way to get from one terminal to another. I'm just here. I'm just starting to get really panicked. I'm losing time. I'm losing time. And then checking in to United Airlines. Well, I pre-checked in uh, because being prepared and everything. But then there was a message offering a voluntary bump to get on another flight. And I'm starting to freak out even more. Like, I have to go to work the next day. What am I going to do? And I guess the associate... Saw that I'm not very experienced in airline travel, so she graciously helped me out. Then the initial flight got delayed, and LaGuardia is known for having queues on the runways. So we were sitting for over an hour on a queue waiting to take off because there was weather earlier in that day, and a lot of flights that needed to take off were backed up. And I'm like absolutely convinced that I'm going to miss my connection at Dulles. But a passenger on that flight uh, graciously let me know like what was going on. And it turned out, because of a crew mix-up, my connection from Dulles to Detroit was delayed until 1 a.m. So I didn't miss it. I just sat, started, had to wait there until 1 a.m. And then I got back to Detroit, had a two-and-a-half-hour drive of finding highway hypnosis to you know, get back home to Fort Wayne. Needless to say, I had to call off the first half of the shift, but, you know, I think when it comes to traveling by plane, sometimes you got to expect the unexpected.
4: I think that's probably the greatest advice
0: (laughs) for airline travel. Yeah. Especially these days. (laughs) Yeah. Especially Dulles. I haven't been to many airports, but that's my least favorite airport I've been to. All right. So uh, do you need to leave us, Liz? That was great having you on this call. OK, well, um, and let's uh, talk about uh, let's talk about other forms of travel. I know, for example, in the United States, in particular, driving is disproportionately more common here than anywhere else. Is there any tips regarding um, you know some of our longer driving trips?
2: I have done multiple trips that they were driving, but mostly for moving purposes. So with a long car ride, packing snacks, kind of being aware of where the rest stops are, they're not always consistent. So just keeping that in mind of when you can get off and either take a break to use the restroom or just stretch So kind of thinking about that and personally for me, if I'm traveling by myself, I also prefer an earlier weather flight or just an earlier departure in case something does happen. So I feel safer in daylight hours if uh, plans change, just overall comfort with what you're wearing and um, to kind of backtrack with the airport, shoes that are easy to get on and off not too many things in your pockets or wearing too many things that you're going to have to take off going through security and then in those road trips comfortable shoes that you know you're safe in while you're driving but also to get you through however long the trip may be.
0: All right (laughs) very well and Rachel like you actually do live in Barcelona or?
3: Yeah I live in Barcelona now and I do not own a car which is actually very liberating to not have to look for parking or pay for insurance or um, pay for gas and stuff. But when I was living in California, the last place I lived was Oakland, near San Francisco in the north. And we would do road trips down to Los Angeles about once a month, once every six weeks. And that drive is about five and a half hours without stopping, but we would plan rest stops and lunch breaks and everything in between. So it ended up being close to six, six and a half hours. And one thing that really helped us was having a podcast, (laughs) having podcasts that we like to listen to and also playlists ready on hand so that we would have actually something to talk about afterwards. So we'd listen to an episode and then discuss it afterwards, we being me and my husband. Um, So that really helped kind of break the monotony of Mm -hmm. the long drives and all of the hours. Another thing that was helpful was Leaving very early in the morning to beat traffic. That way, you beat the rush and everything, and you get to the destination and you still have the whole day ahead of you and you're not exhausted from the heat and all of that.
0: Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And when it comes to beating traffic, now, you know, this is something to consider. So, first of all, it might be a multi day road trip, um, right? And, and of course, if you know where you might need to stop, it's always helpful to. Book those hotels, even though they they may not be like high end road, um, hotels. It might be some of the roadside stuff. But if you're booking something that's in a larger city, let's just say I am driving west, and it's unlikely that I can get past Denver. If I'm booking a hotel, I want to I want something that if I'm going to get going early the next day, want to book something more toward the western edge of Denver. If I'm heading west. Book it for the edge of the city that corresponds with the direction that you're driving. That way, you're not dealing with any of the specific city or metropolitan area traffic right from the start of your day.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a great point, Corbin.
0: Mm -hmm. So one of the things I was thinking about uh, opening this up with, but... You know, July, very early on in July, we probably have our most recognizable summer holiday. And, you know, it's largely a a spectacle, obviously, and fireworks are largely the way that it's celebrated. And, you know, there's usually every year a reminder that, um, you know, the, the most common reminder is your pets don't like the sudden loud noises of fireworks and You know, other times people will bring up that, you know, combat veterans do struggle with that, especially combat veterans with PTSD. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of uh, of the autistic uh, population with a lot of those sensory processing challenges can often struggle um, with this holiday as well. So, I mean, knowing that, does anybody take any more specific precautions or considerations when celebrating a holiday like the 4th of July? Well,
3: so, for the past few 4th of Julys, I've been here in Barcelona, but we do have something equivalent, actually, the week before, it's, I think, June 24th, it's a festival called San Juan, St. Juan, pretty much, and there's fireworks all over the city. And I have a dog, and I've witnessed how uncomfortable it can be for him. So. One thing we try to do is give him a safe space to escape to, which maybe can be relatable. I don't know, Corbin, you can speak to this, like having a place where you know that it's not so loud if there are fireworks, that maybe the sound doesn't reverberate against the walls too much. Whenever we leave, we try to close all the doors, close all the windows, just so that he feels more comfortable. But it did cause a lot of problems this year because he would hear the firecrackers and the fireworks in the street. And then when it was time to take him out for a walk, he wouldn't want to move like he'd plant himself on the floor. I don't know if he even smelled maybe some of the the residue from the firecrackers in the air. And so he knew that it was around or something, but it was pretty bad for the week leading up to the holiday and the week or two afterwards also, because there was still stuff going on around the city. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I was anticipating, so I think the previous two years I lived in apartment complex, there tends to be a lot more regulation, but we I mean, live in a rather decent city. It's not a huge city. Um, I'd say the population is like 266,000. So it's a city big enough to have things. But, you know, when I moved into the neighborhood that I lo- moved into now, I think I had a sense of anticipation that it could be chaotic because, you know, in past years when we've gone downtown for that um, celebration, I just remember some of the neighborhood streets, like people would be shooting off like different fireworks and firecrackers just in the middle of the streets. And I just found it to be a general sense of chaos that just for like driving, it just, uh, yeah, you know, I never felt um, overly comfortable with, but I'm thankful that my neighborhood, there wasn't a bunch of random fireworks being shot off in the middle of the streets. I don't know if they cracked down on it or anything, but, you know, I'm definitely at uh, at least uh, appreciative of that.
2: Yeah, I think it really depends on what city you live in. So kind of um, if you're like new to a certain city, if you can connect with neighbors to see what kind of has happened in past years to help prepare i have a cat and he's sensitive sometimes even just to thunder so during the summers um in the past i've known friends that have pets putting on the ac to kind of help with the sound a little bit or if for dogs um, i had a neighbor who used to give their dog benadryl on the fourth of july just to help ease them from the noise sensitivity that there is any um, preparation that you can do beforehand, um, but I think it definitely does vary from city to city.
0: Okay, well, very well. Now, you know, time wise, I I think we're getting a little bit close to close to the hour. But I think um, if it's all that we could do, like we probably do one more topic, and I think a topic of discussion in the community I've seen has to do with routines. So, uh, you know, I just want um, other people to have that. A chance to go before I add into this. So when it comes to the interrupted or change routines of summertime, um, anybody that's ever worked with uh, autistic uh, community members, um, how have we addressed or accommodated for the interruptions or changes of routines that are related to the summertime?
2: Some options um, for children that are in school, they may have an um, accommodation on their IEP for an extended school year. So during the summer, they may participate in a summer school course just to kind of keep that routine going and also to accommodate their IEP goals and objectives. Um, also, some communities may have a summer program for kids to participate in, like a summer camp.
0: Okay.
2: In my area, there's a lot of different Accommodations at beaches and parks, whether it's they have um, accessibility for individuals who may be in a wheelchair to get onto the beach and get close to the water or a safer environment in the parks, assistive technology that would support with water sports. Yeah, we so
3: the agency that I used to work for in California, we created our own summer camps for the kids that we worked with and it was so much fun. You can build on those social skills and it's a great way to meet friends. And we had different kinds of activities like outdoor sports, like water balloon toss. And we had a music class where they would have drum circles and sing-alongs without the pressure of these academics and all of that. So I think building in that sense of routine in a different environment can also be really, really comforting in a way there's always that adjustment period in the beginning but then people adapt and they get used to that and it's like they don't want summer camp to end at the end of the summer so um it was always so much
0: fun uh, all right yeah I think um something like a good point to have brought up is that it was it was not necessarily about academics and it was a good opportunity to like step away from academics in the first in the first place I know for example there's probably more of a you know stigmatization related to summer school so if you're focused more on just the activities you know maybe team build building or cooperative activities that is beneficial in a completely different way I was very much focused on getting good grades in school and you know one of the biggest disappointments I remember is I couldn't quite get past a C in pre-calculus. That was always a huge disappointment to me. My parents never had any problem with it. They knew I uh, worked very hard. It was just a standard I wanted to hold to myself. I just, but now that I'm working, I realize so clearly that nobody cares that I was unable to get better than a C in pre-calculus. It's just something once that time of your life gets past, it's like, it's amazing how little people actually care about it.
3: Yeah, I don't know how often I use calculus in my everyday life now.
0: <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Not necessarily
3: a life skill.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, I I know like um, routine-wise, I think for me, it's more about if there's something that goes on a weekly basis, that was something. So So things that I generally did you know, during the summer as I you know of course I had a summer bowling league that I did not a heavily serious bowling league but it was something that I could go to at the same time each week and then of course as I got more and more serious about you know, the cross country season I was able to incorporate a you know run, a running based regimen which was very helpful some potential bad habits I always had was you know I just think it was based on you know, having two working parents and various schedules as I, I was kind of trained to be a night owl. So I always just stayed up later than most kids did anyway. In, in a lot of ways, I'm pretty adaptive based on sleep right now. But that was a potential to be a very unhealthy habit I had is just how late I was conditioned to stay up. But other than that, I think the things that benefited me were like autonomy, like certain autonomy, not to be overstructured, but have certain benchmarks week to week. But yeah, I think that was a great discussion. Went over some nice topics.
3: Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, I
0: look forward to seeing what um, you know, what areas of discussion that we can have in the future.
3: Yeah. Corbin, you did amazing. Thank
1: you so much for stepping up into this role.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. What are some of your favorite summer memories? Do you have any tips to share related to traveling? Share your experiences over in our online global autism community. Are you a self-advocate wanting to connect with other autistic people? Or are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online Global Autism Community to collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community.
0: You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.